I want to talk about what's trending now. And what's trending now is, of course, the only thing that is trending now, which is what's trending now. And one of the problems of the trending now obligation is that it puts you on this treadmill that never lets you off. So of course, as you know, what's trending right now is World Cup soccer. 500 years ago, it was Luther versus the Pope. This weekend, it's Germany versus Argentina. Very similar. If, uh, if Argentina does what they did against the Netherlands, which I was very impressed by, which is hold off the German offense uh, and then win in penalty kicks, then you'll know and we'll have to admit that the uh, Lord is also listening to the Pope's prayers. The problem with the new Pope is that he's such a nice guy, he's probably praying that the best team will win, <laughs> even though he's from Argentina. Um, trending right now at the box office is God is not dead and um, the other uh, famous movie that I've forgotten the name of. Um, <laughs> Uh, Heaven is for Real, which was a book. Uh, both of those movies were trending, and now they're getting trounced by other movies. Uh, right now, I think what's winning at the box office is Maleficent, which I haven't seen, but I think is a documentary about Angelina Jolie's love life. Um, <laughs> then there's a movie called A Million Ways to Watch the West Die, and that's set in 1882, the year that Nietzsche said God was dead. Uh, what's trending now is oil and coffee. That's obvious because oil and coffee are the two biggest commodities on the planet. You need the oil to keep the engines running and you need the coffee. How many of you are not caffeinated right now? If you're not caffeinated, you're most likely not here. <laughs> you need the coffee to keep yourself running while you keep the engines running working overtime, right? So what I want to talk to you about is what's trending now which is obvious, right? And what's obvious is that, well, technology runs every aspect of our life. And everything I'm going to tell you about has to do with and is an effect of or side effect of technology. But what's not so obvious is the unintended consequence. What's not so obvious is the downside to the positive side. So it's a little bit like those uh, government PSAs you used to see years ago, the government anti-smoking ads. Do you remember these? They said, Every cigarette you smoke takes 10 seconds off your life. And you would say, well, that's true, ostensibly. I mean, smoking causes cancer. That's been established after 100 years. And cancer can shorten your life. But I also know people that have lived a long time while being smokers. So that's, it's true, but it might be true. But then you think about it a little more and you realize, wait a minute. Every anti-smoking ad I watch takes 15 seconds off. And that's a guarantee. I'm never getting those seconds back. So what I want to give you is sort of a, a, a set of tools to do the cost-benefit analysis and understand that it's trade-offs we're talking about. It's not just a question of is it good or bad. It's a question of what do you prefer? Uh, the story is told of a community years ago that was deciding on television, whether they thought this was a good or a bad thing. So they said, well, let's have a television in the common uh, meeting hall, and we'll use it just for the good stuff. We'll watch elections, we'll watch uh, Olympics, we'll watch uh, theater, we'll watch ballet, we'll watch stuff we couldn't otherwise get, and we'll avoid all the nonsense. We'll avoid Snooky. <laughs> and they did, and sure enough, if you control the television, there's a lot of good stuff. At the end of the year, the elders of the community got together and said, do we like television? Do we keep this thing? 
But in the year, that the question had changed because they noticed something else. And what they noticed was our children, when they play together in the playground at recess, don't sing songs anymore. And so that was strange. They said well, they either stopped singing altogether or when they sang songs, they sang commercial jingles. They sang the ditties they had heard during the commercial breaks on TV. And so the question for the community at the end of the year in considering television is not, is television good or bad? That was a simplistic kind of reductionist question. The question became, what do we as a community value more, good television or singing children? Because they were singing the hymns and spiritual songs that the elders had taught them to carry on their culture and way of life. And so the community decided, well, Television is good when we use it in a limited, controlled way, but we prefer singing children. And not because television is bad, but because we prefer this, right? So it's, it's in that sense that I want to give you a genuine ecological way of trying to ask and answer some of these questions. So I'm going to give you a, various, uh, a number of descriptive things, but the, pre the prescription is up to you. In other words, I'm not a preacher, so I can't exhort or rebuke you. I'm a professor. All I can do is school you. And it's up to you whether you do the homework, right? But the homework isn't something I'm going to assign. There's not some, oh, do this now. At the end, there's simply going to be consider these things, ponder these things, meditate on how this might affect or influence or change for the better your family culture, your personal cultural life, your personal engagement with the community, your personal ability to live in but not of this world, your personal ability to help the orphans and the widows and the weak and those in need in the calling of true religion. So trending right now are a whole bunch of celebrities involved in drugs, divorce, uh, disease, mayhem, madness, and, uh, but who first said, hey, first let's take a selfie. And they did, and that selfie went viral. And by Easter time of this year, you remember what happened? The Christian cultural imitation industry took it, and then they put digitally superimposed Ash Wednesday ashes on them and created the hashtag hashtag. <laughs> but we know this is a lie because we know, and our young especially know this, film stars don't come from dust and they don't return to dust. Film stars are on celluloid and they are always young and rich and beautiful every single time you watch their movies, which is why film stars are the number one aspiration that our culture as young want to be. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know, a movie star. I just want to be discovered one day for being the awesome that I am and then make a $20 million a movie like Brad Pitt. Is that so much to ask? Well, 40000 a year, drop out of school to go to Hollywood to make it, and they're all very good waiters. Um, so... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a growing phenomena where we, we think this thing will discover us. Um, trending right now is uh, the oil and coffee that runs your technology is this incredible thing. It's technology we're talking about, right? Remember what technology is at the base level. It is a time-saving device, and it is a labor-saving device. If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. In other words, if it didn't offer this benefit of saving you time, saving you labor, you wouldn't need it. So it's a wonder, right? It's strange that you have less time than ever, and it's strange that you are more stressed than ever. Um, sleep deprivation and stress are the two things we all share in common. 
uh, more than the weather anymore. I don't know if you know this, but like nine out of 10 people can't start a conversation without the weather. Now you can just say, hey, how's your stress level? Right? How's your internal weather? How's your internal barometer of coping with today? And then there's always that awkward pause. Wait, really? Are you really asking me? Like, I've got a long story to tell. Or are you just, oh, fine, everything's great. Right? There's this anxiety around that question itself. So it saves time and it saves labor, but it creates this weird phenomenon. I've got to mow the lawn. You know what? It'd be nice if I had a riding lawnmower. I'd get a riding lawnmower. Ride the lawnmower. I'm sitting on my lawnmower like I'm sitting on my couch watching TV. Suddenly, I notice I'm getting a bigger and bigger gut. Well, now I've got to join a gym to have a membership to work out from all the work that the lawnmower saved me. Right? It's very strange that I, I, normally my work would actually do the job of managing my caloric intake. Now I have to go to a special thing and have a special membership just because I have so much technology that saves me from having to work. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm running on the elliptical. It's my stairmaster to heaven. I got to do this. Um, was this your week? Statistically, it was. All of you are in the gym sometime this week, hopefully three times. Hopefully got your cardio up. Hopefully did all this stuff. Uh, how do you know this? Why do you care about this? I don't know. But you do, and it's all a function of technology. Um, trending right now is that one little coffee shop that only you know about, that you're kind of excited about, that's got those old turn-of-the-century lamps in it. I think they're called 1910 Edison bulbs, and all that old hardware. And all the hipsters are in there, and they're MacBook Pros, trying to get some productivity in. And you realize, well, there's, the, there's the cultural paradox of our time. Here's where we are, 2014, and here's where we want to be, 1914. Hashtag Downton Abbey, hashtag life-size Titanic replica, hashtag restoration hardware catalog, right? Fill in the blank. I love right now, but I wish it was 100 years ago. It's a weird place to be as a culture. Trending right now is you sitting there in that coffee shop pretending you're being productive when in fact you're bouncing from Facebook to YouTube to Instagram to Pinterest to Twitter. And you're like, oh, you know what, I gotta get productive. I gotta, I gotta do something. I think I'll retweet that one thing that one guy said because it'll make me look smart. And if you're honest, 80% of your tweets are just like 80% of my tweets. They're me saying, hey, look at me, look at this. It's not me actually contributing anything new to the conversation. It's not me actually producing any cultural content. It's me going, me too, me too. And it's kind of tragic and kind of pathetic. And then I count my followers, ah, I don't have enough. Um, trending now is unbelievable technology, like literally unbelievable. 23,000 miles in space, satellites can detect the heat signature of a burning cigarette butt on a Russian ice plateau. Unbelievable. But we still can't find Malaysian Flight 470. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's, what? How big is that thing? How wide is that thing? What is its heat saying? How, how, how does that happen? It's unbelievable. You live in weirdly fictional times where the miraculous incredible is every day but the total common sense can't be achieved. Like when you're at the DMV and the clerk at this window says, well, here, you can only pay with cash or credit card. But the clerk at the next window says, you can only pay with money order. And you're like, well, I, but I can't, why? isn't this the same office? And it's this weird, bizarre sense of what's, what's real anymore. It's hard to, hard to follow. Um, 
trending right now is Ritalin, Concerta, Abilify, Prozac, Effexor, and what I think is the misnamed diagnosis of attention deficit disorder and its twin on the spectrum, OCD. As the comedian Dennis Miller puts it, he has a rare form of the disease called ADD-OCD, where he can't pay attention to the thing he's totally obsessed about. <laughs> and when you look at it, you know, nobody in the 17th century had attention deficit disorder. Why? Because there wasn't enough information. There wasn't enough stuff to pay attention to. But it's, it's the disease du jour, right? The mental disease, the perceptual disorder, uh, and it's real, but its reality is a function of information overload. In fact, I think it should be called IOS, not ADD, information overload syndrome. And I think OCD should be called RMIOS, ritualized management of information overload syndrome. It doesn't actually give me control, but it gives me the illusion of control, which I know is important because a placebo works as long as I don't know it's a placebo, right? Trending right now is depression. And uh, if I go to my doctor and say, doctor, I've got sin, can you give me the blood of Christ? He says, no, but if you've got depression, I can give you a FDA-approved drug that works 60% as effectively as a placebo in double-blind clinical trials. And I say, I'll take it. <laughs> the problem is, it only treats the symptom of the disease. The bigger problem is, Depression was itself a symptom, not the disease, until there became an FDA drug to, to, to cure it. But it never cures it, it just relieves it. And so part of the problem is you've now reduced the definition of everything. So all your symptoms are now diseases, and now instead of searching and gaining the American dream of pursuing happiness, people settle for just being antidepressed. And antidepressed is not the same as being happy, as I'll discuss a little bit later. Trending right now, is um, a massive increase in depression and suicide rates worldwide, but especially in technologized countries. Um, in our country, the raw number is in the 30,000s and climbing, and in Japan, where they have arguably one of the most technologized cultures on the planet, in Japan they have half our population, but the exact same raw number of suicides. And when you look in this country, it's just in the last few years that suicide passed homicide as the biggest threat to the self. Now think about that. That's a very strange place to be as a culture. The biggest threat to yourself right now is not somebody else. It is you. That's a very, very strange place um, and, and kind of new in human history. Uh, trending right now is cancer. One out of two men will be diagnosed. One out of three women, if uh, two out of three diagnoses, um, or sorry, three out of five diagnoses come after the age of 65, but it's happening younger and younger. And I don't mention that to depress you, I mention that to point out that, well, what causes cancer? Well, a whole bunch of things cause cancer, but among them are gas, uh, splitting the atom, and electricity. Gasoline, radiation and electromagnetic fields, if you get too close to them, they're all carcinogenic. So in a weird way, the very environment we've created, the technologically progressed technological environment we've created is itself carcinogenic. So the stuff you do every day, get in the car, turn on the lights, go to work, fire up the reactor, which I say because Illinois is the most nuclear-powered state in the nation, um, that's, that's all contributing to an environment in which, well, 
there's going to be some, some downside to that. Uh, biologists tell us that every living organism is in a state of decline in terms of its overall health as a species. Um, that sounds hyperbolic. I don't know if it's true. I think, well, what about those fish in the middle of the ocean? And then I read, well, 99% of the plastic that we dump in the ocean, which is an awful lot, is getting eaten by these little fish, and those little fish are getting eaten by the fish that we put in our sushi. So even there, it's like, oh no, you can't, you can't escape. Um, trending now is a total surveillance society, not just by the NSA or some big brother boogeyman, but actually the surveillance of the self by the self. The CIA can close their doors now because Mark Zuckerberg has created Facebook, where not only are you revealing on a daily basis who your friends are, what your religion is, what your music tastes are, what you like to do and do, but uh, who you're with, what you're thinking, your actual internal thoughts are now voluntarily revealed, thanks to Facebook. And uh, Facebook itself is a cause of your depression and a cause of the other thing that's trending right now, which is loneliness. Loneliness, according to a recent article, is up 40% now of people in America are, are lonely. It's a terrible thing to admit, and you, you tend not to, so you get on Facebook and you know, sort of create this virtual self. The problem is, the more time you're on Facebook, the average amount of time is about six hours a day, the lonelier you get, and the worse you feel. Why? Because you see all those other people that have a better life than you, which really doesn't mean they have a better life. It means they either have a more expensive camera or they're just better at Photoshop than you. And so you like resent them and you're just like, oh, this is annoying. I hate that person, but there is no dislike or unlike or hate button. There's just like. And so you resent that and then you just feel bad. And so you, you, you spend this time on Facebook and actually, again, another research study shows that the actual number of friendships you have has gone down in the last 20 years. It used to be five friends as in real friends, as in close, intimate people you would share your deep, dark secrets with. It's now two. And on the curve we're going towards, it's going to be one. And that one friend is going to be you. Did you read my blog? Why didn't you read my blog? Because you were too busy writing your own blog, weren't you? Right? We're all creating an audience of one for our content of one. And there's this bizarre narcissism that's produced. And narcissism is trending now. Narcissism is coming out of all sorts of things. Narcissism is so ubiquitous in the culture that the psychologist creating the DSM suggested briefly, and it, was, it made New York Times headlines and it made other articles, that they actually took it out of the new DSM-5 that came out last year. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. We're on the fifth version now. There's 350 disorders to choose from. Uh, when this thing started, there were like 50. Um, so they, they took out narcissism because everybody was doing it. Well, why is everybody doing it? Well, one of the reasons is online dating. Online dating, which is now all the rage and is multiplying on all levels, from secular to religious sites, there's all sorts of um, dating sites. And there's some very good parody sites about you know, how sub-niched it's getting. Um, there's this incredible, weird new algorithm. Whether you take 30 questions or 300 questions on the questionnaire, the assumption behind an online dating site is that compatibility in a relationship is a function of identical answers or similar answers, rather than the old hermaphrodite model where opposites attracted. Now I fall in love with you because you remind me so much of me, <laughs> right? And uh, Walker Percy said, the self is about the smallest hole you could bury your head in, and yet people are doing that more and more and more. Now, 
Narcissism clinically described is actually the true self's original wounding, uh, usually through some traumatic event, and then the creation, the careful and slow, elaborate creation of a secondary false self that is a protective layer around the true self to protect the true self from ever being hurt again. And you think, well, okay, if that's narcissism, what's Facebook? Right? Facebook is you creating this entirely false, illusory self of, of this idealized self. Think about how many shots it took of your head taken by you, of you, and then how many Photoshop issues, you know, things you went through to get that picture for your profile picture for that just right thing. And then like how quickly did it fade and you're like, I've got to take another one. Um, the, the constant management of the self, the, 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 the new world in which I'm obligated to create public relations for myself, about myself, and, and maintain a fresh image all the time. Uh, it's exhausting and it's depressing. Um, so that's trending now. Um, trending now is you spending 12 or 16 hours plugged in to some electronic device. Um, it used to be there was the newspaper, there was the radio, and there was a television with three channels that turned off at midnight. And you pick these things up and you put them down and you turn them on and you turn them off. And now, that's not available. I don't have a cell phone, I don't have a television, I don't have an internet connection at my house, but I'm plugged in 12 out of 16 hours too, just like you. In other words, you can't escape it anymore because it's now ubiquitous. Um, what becomes a freedom quickly becomes an obligation, quickly becomes a sort of servitude. And so there's a certain sense in which connection to everything digital is a form of addiction. And by addiction, I mean you can't turn it off, you can't say no, you feel anxious and irritable if you are away from it. Mom, dad, take the cell phone away from the teenager for just 24 hours. See how their reaction is just like an addict of a junkie needing their hit. It's very similar. Um, and you can't do that uh, because it's um, considered abusive now, but I'll tell you why in a minute. <laughs> um, but the addiction to anything digital is really the addiction to electricity. In 1919, Vladimir Lenin, he said, let the peasant pray to electricity. He's going to feel the power of the central authorities far more than that of heaven. And there really is a sense in which there's this ubiquitous, omnipresent, omniscient thing out there that has all the qualities of God except for the omnipotence. And um, uh, McLuhan, the, the great media theorist of the 60s, he said that he was a devout Catholic. He said that um, Satan was, very, was a very great electrical engineer. Um, and you know, scripture calls him the, the prince of the power of the air. So uh, why can't you take the cell phone away from your kid? Well, because trending now is ignorance. Right now, all studies uh, show that we're getting dumber and dumber and dumber. And by dumber, I don't mean less capable or less competent of ingesting in and retaining information um, uh, in terms of actual human ability, but I mean, the information environment is so exploded that you simply can't. So if you look at Moore's law and the doubling of space on a circuit board every 18 months, that's parallel to a cultural law that says information is doubling every 18 months. And when information doubles that much, the location of the information has to move from the human head outside to the cloud. So a lot of our young have their heads in the cloud and it leads to cloudy thinking, but it's not their fault, right? 
They don't need to know anything so long as they have Google, Wikipedia, and Siri to access all the stuff they need to know, which they need to know on a need-to-know basis. Right? And that's why they have to have a smartphone. Mom, I have to have this. It's like important, like it's a requirement for my job, for my school, for whatever. It's now a requirement basically for going through fourth grade. Um, <laughs> and if you, as a parent, should sort of threaten your child with, well, now be good or else I'll take away your cell phone rights, that's really considered abusive these days. Why? Because think about it. If their knowledge, which was once in their head, is now in the cloud, and they have to have this to get to the cloud, then taking their cell phone away from them is a little bit like giving your kid a partial lobotomy every time they act out. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of overdoing it. You don't want to go there. Um, I know I've just given you teenagers the best argument against mom and dad ever, but uh, pay attention to them when they, when they talk. Um, okay. Trending now is supersizing the house for the sake of the microfamily. In 1946, the average, this is the year of the baby boom, the average family had uh, three kids and they lived in a 923 square foot house. By 2006, just 60 years later, the average family had 1.2 kids, but they had supersized the house to over 2,300 square feet. Now in the biological world, when an animal doubles its habitat size while simultaneously having its offspring, biologists put that animal on the endangered species list. That never happens in the animal world, though, because as my, biological, uh, my biology uh, colleagues tell me, an animal would only double its habitat size in order to acquire the caloric intake necessary to maintain parity with its former reproductive rate. So you have twice the house size, but half the number of children, and as a result, the house no longer feels like a home, and a lot of moms are like, well, what am I doing here? What's this all about? It's, it's annoying. Um, and so uh, you, can, you can feel this. You can kind of sense this when you go outside and you see the, the, the playgrounds are empty, the front yards are empty. There's no, like, you know, when I was a kid, it was always, like, anywhere you went, there were bikes and skateboards and stuff all over there, like evidence of human children playing. Why is that not there anymore? It's not there anymore because there aren't as many, and two, because they are playing, but they're indoors playing, right? Halo, they're playing Wi-Fi uh, games, they're playing um, Candy Crush, they're playing um, something other than like on a rope, on a tree outside in like yuck nature, that's boring. And especially boring and terrifying if it's nature that has no Wi-Fi signal, that's unnatural, <laughs> right? Because nature is now technology, our first nature is technology now, not our second nature anymore. Uh, and trending now is the liberation by technology to more technology. And this has primarily liberated a woman to be free to be anything she wants to be so long as she is a man about it. Hashtag lean in, hashtag vocal fry, where teenage girls are lowering their voice to sound like boys. Hashtag think like a man. And these are exciting and wonderful freedoms, but they also put a double curse upon the woman. First, she was cursed by pain in childbirth, biblically speaking, and now she's doubly cursed to earn her bread by the sweat of her brow. One result of which, because she's working and the husband's working, her house is now twice as large, but no longer feels like a home because it has half as many kids inside. Why does she have, have as many kids? Because she can't afford them because she's at work so much. Statistically speaking, that's the, the pattern that happens in culture. As the political realists put it, the best form of birth control is economics, hashtag demographic winter. Trending now is desensitization. Overloaded is overwhelmed. 
The more knowledge, the more sorrow, the more information, the more sorrow, the more information technology, the more sorrow. You remember Pink Floyd's song, Comfortably Numb? That was in like 1979. The, the neologism for 2010 was apocalypse fatigue. Uh, as my students put it, hey professor, I'm not feeling it. And this can be an excuse for like leaving the lecture. It used to be, can I go to the bathroom? Now it's just, I'm not feeling it. I, got, I gotta go. Uh, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, they call that a party foul on my part. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so trending now is impatience. All civilizations worthy of their name used and developed and learned carefully and slowly, largely through literacy, that, but the art of deferred gratification, the art of incremental steps toward an eventual outcome. This is how you build pyramids or cathedrals or how you create a Leonardo. Um, now that instant gratification is in, all that endures in culture is at risk. Uh, here's a partial list. Letter writing, realism and painting, sacred architecture, model building, calligraphy, marriage. Um, institutions of stability that create a stability. In the built environment, if any of you are into architecture or city planning, uh, we know from study after study that people feel good and like to walk in a place where the buildings around them sends them the nonverbal message that says, I'm here in part of something that came here before me and will last after I'm gone. It helps them feel part of a narrative and part of a continuous story that's worthwhile, okay? Which is why the number one visited place in the planet is France, which has, I think, the highest number of cathedrals and old quaint towns. Um, ooh la la. So uh, the, the, the whole instant, you know, uh, mick culture where you just kind of throw it up and tear it down and pave paradise to, to do a new thing, it feels cheap. It feels like this isn't going to last, you know? Today it's a Jimmy John's, but tomorrow it's a Taco Bell. Next week it'll be a bank, and then it'll be, you know, a cash for gold pawn shop. Um, and so it feels like, well, this isn't worth doing. Um, Malcolm Gladwell says that you have to put in 10,000 hours to get really good at something, okay, to, like, master the violin or do anything worthy. Um, and people are asking, Siri, what's the quickest route to deferred gratification? What's my shortcut? Right? There's, there's this still, there's this impatience with the need to acquire this thing that you can't have impatience to acquire. Trending now is losing your religion. As technology advances, religion retreats. Everybody reports this from missionaries to sociologists. And that the more a country gets technology, the less it relies on God. This is sort of hilarious and tragic and sad all at once because the technology itself is but a pale imitation of God's original design and his original technologies. Um, the word technology itself comes from the Greek techne, meaning art or craft, and logos, meaning principle or pattern. And Jesus Christ in the Greek was not actually described as a carpenter. He's described as a tecton or a master builder. Okay? And Jesus Christ, as you know, was also described as the logos, the principle and pattern behind and through which everything was made that was made, according to John. So all technology is but a pale imitation of the true technologist. And while it works for its intended consequences, its unintended consequences always point us back to the need for Christ to liberate us from the new necessity or slavery or idolatry it creates. Okay, Glass, take a picture. Trending now is the visualization of the acoustic and the downgrade from the ear to the eye. 
This is happening, uh, for instance, most notably in the music industry, where in the old days you had to have a good voice to get a record contract. Now you just need a good body because we have auto-tune. And a video is required to make the, your music career a success. So Janis Joplin, Bette Midler, Barbara Streisand, these women would probably not receive recording contracts today. And then a whole bunch of girls that shouldn't have received them did because they have auto-tune. Um, I'm not going to name them, but you know who they are. Um, but understanding the hierarchy of the senses is, I think, at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Sound really does come first. And if you'll do me a favor and close your eyes for a minute, this is shocking in a video telecast church, but I want you to just listen for a minute. Close your eyes, and you'll hear what I mean. In the beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. In the very beginning, God spoke the world into being, right? God said, let there be light, and there was light. It's actually interesting, the science of cymatics, which is the science of sound's effect on matter, um, and same with sonoluminescence, another science, both reveal that certain sounds at certain frequencies at certain decibels will actually produce bursts of light in the water or pattern changes in the matter. Um, but God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve didn't see God, they heard his voice. And then with sight, it's interesting, the beginning of the fall starts when Adam and Eve see the fruit and they see that it was good to eat. And Satan tempts them by saying, your eyes will be opened. And their eyes were opened. Right? So there's some sense, uh, maybe not a literal sense, but there's some sense in which by, by no longer relying on sound and, and leaning to sight, things started to go wrong. But this is consistent throughout scripture. Uh, later, the second commandment expressly forbids analogic visual images of any kind in the, in the uh, second commandment. And God was to be known through the word alone. This is why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Man is made in the image of God, and Christ is also a man, certainly. But more profoundly, John tells us that Christ is not only the word, but the word made flesh and sent to walk among us. And he's not a very good-looking dude, according to scripture. He's not one to behold. He's not comely or attractive or, you know, um, a supermodel. And that sound is above sight is why faith is also described as the evidence of things not seen. It's why Paul tells us that the letter of the law kills, whereas the spirit of the law gives life. The letter of the law is writing. The spirit of the law is speech. Jesus saves the very life of the woman caught in adultery by utilizing the authority of the spoken word over the visual power of the written law. The medieval French mystic Bernard of Clairvaux said, quote, if you wish to see, listen. Hearing is a step toward vision. And if you think about this, um, this really is everything about it. Think, think about a relationship. A man can say to his wife in the morning, goodbye, sweetheart, I gotta go, I love you. And she can say to him, I love you. And he can know exactly what she means which isn't the content of the words she's said. What she means is, it's now three weeks and you still haven't fixed the faucet, which is why the man responds with, I know, I know, I'll get to it tonight, I promise. He's saying, I know, I know, I'll get to it tonight, I promise, in response to her saying, I love you. But with just that intonation, with just that inflection, he knows exactly what she's saying. Hashtag shorten the honeydew list. Guys, if this is you, and I'm describing your relationship, the goal is to get to the place where you can say to your wife, I love you too, and let her know, I'll get to it tonight. 
takes a lot of work. I'm not there myself, but it's a goal I dream of. Um, sound is what calls us into the world when we are in the womb. It's one of the first senses developed. Sound is what um, wakes us up in the morning. And if you think about it, sound is actually a much subtler, delic more delicate sense. So you know from the technology of film and video, uh, I can fool your eye into thinking something is real with the persistence of motion illusion by running camera film through a film, frame, uh, film camera at 24 frames per second. 24 frames per second isn't that much. If I do fewer than that, it's got that kind of goofy Charlie Chaplin look. But at 24 frames per second, it looks real and fools the eye. But sound, if you're listening to your iPod, what you're actually listening to is 44,100 frames per second of digital sound sliced for the, analog, uh, for the digital recording. Now, it's a bit of an apples and oranges comparison, but 24 frames per second versus 44,100 frames per second, that's a huge difference in terms of the subtlety and the delicacy with which one can pick up uh, uh, the truth of a situation. Um, sound is actually a step toward vision in Bernard of Clairvaux's sense, literally, when you think about the child crying alone at night in their bedroom. Right? They have a nightmare, a night terror. They wake up, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, ah! And you're in the next bedroom, and you say, It's okay, sweetheart. It's okay. Follow Daddy's voice. Come to Mommy and Daddy's room. Just follow my voice. I'm right here. We're right here. Just follow my voice. And the child will actually walk in the dark without having to turn on any lights and is scared, but just follows your voice and will come right into your room without ever needing the lights turned on. And this is exactly and precisely the analogy that Scripture is using when it says that thy word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet. Right? Think about a lamp at your feet. And by this, you know, by a biblical lamp, we mean a small candle. It's just enough illumination not to light up the whole room, not to light up the world and see the future, but it's just enough illumination to let you take the next step, to let you go, oh, okay. And then it means you still have to keep relying on his word to take the next step and the next step, and that God, who is the great I am and lives in the present moment, wants you to live in that moment here now with him in a step-by-step -step reliance on him in faith. And that's very hard to do. It's very frustrating to do, especially when we can see the road ahead, when we can see visually all this other stuff. We're like, ah, I got to get there. I got to hurry this up. Um, but so living in a way where you kind of dim down the technological noise so that you can hear God's voice and listen for that still small voice, which he describes himself as, is very, very, uh, what's well, harder to do now than it's ever been before in human history. God, who is outside of time and made time for us and not us for it, really does have an eternally available way of being in but not of this technological world, a way that acknowledges the basic fact that technology can be a great servant but makes a lousy master. There is a way to be determined by a different set of assumptions instead of the 644 million websites that are out there or the 34 gigabytes of information you're exposed to every day or the 5,000 advertisements most of us see on a daily basis. God says to be still and know that he is God. You are eternally free in your free choice, in your free will, to unplug once a week. You know that it's still legal to not own a television or an iPad or a cell phone? That'll probably change quickly, but right now it's still legal. 
God says you can step back and question why it's so addictive, appealing, and irresistible to live in a world where you are constantly disembodying yourself by converting your actual lived experiential body into a pixelated image for others to consume. Now think about this. What you're really doing is making the real you into a myth in total and complete contradistinction to the entire history of Christianity, which is, as C.S. Lewis put, to make, have the myth made real, to have the spirit world come down in human form. And why? That was for one reason only. God came down, because God is love, to demonstrate love, and love is sacrifice. There is no way to demonstrate the reality of love than to sacrifice. God, theologically speaking, has to come down in human form in order to demonstrate his love, because only if he comes down in human form can he die. You cannot kill a spirit. You can only kill a body. So the incarnation is necessary, and your body is necessary in order for the actual work of salvation to occur. And when you think about that, that's a reality in your daily life. Um, you know, the most terrifying phone call we, any of us ever get is the one that starts with, are you sitting down now? And I know a couple that refused to text, refused to email, refused to send the electronic message, and they drove through the night across three state lines because they knew when they told the person that had to find out that their loved one had died, they would need to be there to catch her because she would fall and she was all alone. And that is love. In other words, in reality, love constantly calls us to a specific inconvenience that is specifically, typically at odds with the convenience the technologies have given us. And so again and again and again, it's not, is the technology good or bad? It's how convenient would it be if I could just send an email instead of flowers or instead of a card or instead of showing up at the hospital bed of my sick friend? Um, and again and again and again, you know who your real friends are in the digital world. They're the ones that show up in person. So <clears throat> the question is, why is this getting worse? Why are people losing their religion? Why is this? Well, it's hard to need a life after death religiously speaking, when I've got second life right here. Right? It's hard to need um, uh, that religious story of the myth made real when I can make my real self into a myth, when I can be a god on Facebook or World of Warcraft or something else, when I can acquire those attributes. You could be an impatient, ignorant, addicted, desensitized, goalless, disembodied, lonely narcissist. That's trending right now. But the freedom you have in Christ, which is really the only freedom there is in this world, includes the freedom to take part in the eternally available uh, that is renewing your mind by paying attention. And like the men from Issachar in the Bible, to know the signs of the times and choose the best way to live, a meaningful, embodied, and happy life. And by happy, I don't mean anti-depressed. I mean a life in which you know at all times that the struggle you are engaged in has meaning beyond its immediate utilitarian purposes. This is the happiness that the disciples had, the vast majority of whom, I think it was 10 out of 12 or 9 out of 12, did not live to see the standard life expectancy of their culture's actuarial tables, but who were instead martyred at the hands of an angry mob. You know what they're tweeting in heaven today, those disciples? Hashtag no regrets. They have a complete, happy, meaningful life, even though it was shortened by being martyred. Eternally available to you is the freedom to be wakeful, watchful, and alert. Eternally available to you is the freedom to be clever as serpents and harmless as doves. Eternally available to you is the freedom to be the counter-environment to the dominant media culture. Eternally available is to be loving sheep amongst hungry wolves. 
It's eternally available to you to run the race so as to win it. You're free not to worry about reaching market share and, like Jesus, save individuals instead of groups. Just by being the minority active counteragent, the agitating factor in your culture, the tiny bit of salt that flavors the whole steak, the tiny bit of yeast that leavens the whole loaf, and the tiny candlelight of hope that dispels the darkness, even if only for the next step. Hashtag light them up. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for giving us bodies, for creating us in the form you've created us, in your image. Thank you for coming down and incarnating as a man and walking among us. Thank you for showing us that all we need is the technology of sight and sound and touch to carry out the gospel message of living in but not of this world, of walking and preaching among the nations, of caring for the the homeless, the poor, the sick, the orphans, and the widows. Father, help us to use the technologies as servants and not be used by them as masters. Help us to hear your still small voice in a way that affects an actual embodied change in our actual lives as we love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.